Live from Los Angeles at Sinai Temple, this is Rabbi Erez Sherman and Rabbi on the Sidelines. This afternoon, we are joined by Dr. Jeffrey Mangrum. A real pleasure to have Dr. Jeffrey Mangrum from Syracuse University, 1987 star of the football team that went to the Sugar Bowl, tied with Auburn. We're going to learn about a little bit about that. Now a professor of education at Syracuse University, but one of my mentors and one of my favorite teachers in middle school at Manlius Pebble Hill in Syracuse, New York, Dr. Jeffrey Mangrum. Dr. Mangrum, it's so amazing to see you. Thank you for having me, Rabbi. I'm really excited to be here. Um, it's great seeing you. I'm grown up now, handling responsibility. Um, it's really a pleasure to join you today. Well, as I told you before, you look the same and I don't. So, uh, yes, keep it up. Keep it up. It must be those cold winters in upstate New York. That's right. So Rabbi on the Silence, as I told you, is about the intersection of faith and sports. As I like to say, two words that don't often get brought up in the same sentence. You have been involved in the sports world, now in the education world. And we're going to talk about do those two worlds or words intersect in what you do in the classroom, out of the classroom, on the field, and off the field. Let's go back. Grow up in Brunswick, Georgia, in the Deep South, where football, I was told, is like religion. When did you get involved in that sport of football? When did you realize that this is something that could take you to the next level and hop up north to Syracuse? Yeah, I'll never forget it. I, I wanted to play when I was six years old. Wasn't old enough to play the peewee leagues. I had to be seven. Um, devastated that I watched my brother and cousin play that year because they were older than me. Um, I, I become um, a peewee um, in, in the seventh um, at age seven, and you, you just you, you just move up and you really want to be known for your athletic prowess in in the sport. It for Southerners at least it's about um, identity. It's about um, when I think about it now. I have the language to describe it now. It's about masculinity. Um, it's about toughness. It's about pride. You want to have pride in your community and the football team doing well. Um, it's about status. It just gives a cultural currency that playing football, at least in the small town I was in, um, and it, it was about community. It brought all the various players, race, class, gender, religion. It brought everybody to that high school football field. Um, I was um, able to make the varsity as a 10th grader. And at that point, I realized I thought I could, I could, I had a chance to at least do some things because I would have, you know, three years to really kind of show what I could do. And I overall, by the time I was a junior, I started realizing, wow, um, um, my size was about 5'10", maybe 170 pounds. So I wasn't the biggest thing, but I wasn't the smallest thing. Um, and yeah, the team got better progressively. We would always get to the point lose in the first or second round to some of these powerhouse teams that you've heard about, Coffee County. Um, they, they, they were powers, but Valdosta was power. Um, these are Valdosta was in the New York Times last week. They got a lot of controversy around high school wow. all down there, but these are power programs that we were trying to compete against. And when did you realize that you were going to take it to the next level? When did you hear about the Syracuse University coach Dick McPherson, who's a legend in Central New York? And like, what yeah. made you say, you know what? I'm going to spend my summers in the gray days of, or the the winters of the gray days of Syracuse. One of Coach McPherson's former coaches, a gentleman by the name of Mr. Woodward, retires in Brunswick, Georgia. He hears about wow. play. 
reaches out to Coach Mack. As I hear the story now, Coach Mack contacts me. They get film of me. Eventually, they recruit me. He, Randy Ensel, and Ivan Fears come down to my house to recruit me and say, look, we want you to come to Syracuse University. Wow. Again, Ivan Fears, multiple Super Bowl winning um, coach with the New England Patriots. Randy Ensel, head coach at the University of Connecticut. They sat down and, and talked with my mom and dad about um, the opportunity for me to get an education and to play football at Syracuse University. Um, and I decided to go. I had um, Clemson was taking a hard look at me. They backed off because they got some other defensive backs they wanted. Um, Georgia Tech was taking a hard look at me. But for me, it, it was an opportunity when I came and, and visited in December of 86. They take wow. this thing called the – no, no, 84, excuse me, December of 84. They take me to this thing called the Carrier Dome to watch it. Okay. Guess who's playing? SU's playing North Carolina with the young Michael Jordan. Wow. And Matt <laughs> Doherty was on that team. That's right. And there's this guy named Dwayne Pearl Washington. Oh, yeah. Everybody was telling me about, and boy, he, and what a show they put on that night. And the dome just overwhelmed me. Um, mm. My first time on an airplane, um, wow. first trip on an airplane, Syracuse University um, paid for it. And so when as we move on through this interview, you're going to hear me talk about the institution of Syracuse University and what it's done for my life. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I was a little afraid of the weather and being away from home, but I was there was something magical about the university. Um, football team was under rise. They were 6-5 and five that year. Um, and these guys would say, look, we need some of you kind of more kind of southern athletic guys up here. Um and I looked around the education. Seriously, for my mom, it was about education. She thought mm -hmm. Georgia Tech or SU, um, first and foremost. For her, it was about you got to get yourself educated. And that's so the primary role. So you talked about them needing those Southern guys to really sort of add a little juice and energy to the team, yep. coming off of a bit of a down season. And then you go to 1987, the basketball team had an amazing year, the famous the shot. Keith Smart in the corner, Steve Alford on that team, Indiana, and then the football season. So we're going to um, look at a little clip here and the moment when you realize, like, this is going to happen. So take a look at this. Syracuse began the 1987 season with a 25-11 victory over Maryland at the Carrier Dome. With that win came another prediction. I'll never forget this. Chris Ingram said, oh, my God, Jeff, we can win them all. And at that point, I believed it. Syracuse beat Rutgers. Take us back to that, that point. At that point, I believed it. What did you believe and how did you know that you could advance to the 1987 Sugar Bowl against Auburn? We played a really talented Maryland team. People don't realize they had seven or eight NFL players off of that team. And Rabbi, we systematically just dismantled that really talented team. <laughs> and I'm not making it up. It was, it was, listen to the words of music. We just systematically just, just beat them down. Um, they did score a touchdown with like 30 seconds left in the game. But really, offense was still coming along, but our defense, I, I've never been in such a, a, a defensive, dominating defensive performance since I've been there. And after the game, we were stunned. We realized, if nothing else, we had a dominant defense that was going to be hard to to, to, to penetrate. And then uh, uh, what about the Penn State game? That was a little later. And oh, they said Joe Paterno came in the locker room yes. and said, keep the championship in the East. You yes. guys go do your thing. What was that yes. like? 
true story. Um, to have Joe Paterno, the legendary Joe Paterno, come in um, and say that to us, he realized what we had. We, we, we just had a, a, a championship caliber team. Um, and as you know, off of that team, 14, 14, 15 players played in the NFL off of that eight, 1987 team. Daryl Johnston, Rob Drummond, yes. Don McPherson, yes. all those guys. Yes. Yeah. Rob Moore, Ted Gregory, yeah. um, Terry Wood. Notice I can name yeah. Robert Burnett, um, 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 the linebacker. I think Dave Bravaro, Marcus Paul, Marcus Paul, yeah, Tony Kane, Pat Kelly. Notice yeah. just name Don McPherson. It just Pat Davis. Just we were loaded with three-star talent that was developed to NFL caliber talent. That's amazing. Yep. And then you were quoted by saying what you learned from Coach Mack, success and failure on the same spectrum. Neither of them are real. Master the process. Explain that mentality and how it works on the field, but really also off the field. Yeah. Um, wow. You you found that. That's the a gold, <laughs> boy, but that's, that's it. By process, um, habits, how, how we're going to do things. Um, Coach Mack um, preached discipline, a state of mind in which you do the right things the right way, a mm-hmm. you don't want to. <laughs> he was all over that. How we practice is how we played. How you study the film is how you begin educating yourself. So they really drilled in us. We we got to do the right things the right way all the time. And then when it's time, when you when the stress hits you of the game with all the pressure on. We know it's not going to be perfect, but boy, it's going to be better if we, if we if we rely on a process. And so, for me today, I lay out a process. What are my goals? Um, how am I am, am I going to be disciplined enough to, to to reach for those goals every day? Am I going to do the things that we're going to create habits that get me up, get me? I'm thinking about those goals. My behaviors got to align with those goals, and then am I doing the things to execute at a high level to attain? Those goals. Now, if I'm doing them well, outcomes will take care of themselves. If I'm not right. doing well, I've got to figure out what am I not, not doing well to get the outcomes I want. So again, it's not about outcomes or not outcomes. There's these processes that should lead to certain results. If you're not getting those, you got to go back to the process. Mm-hmm. So his whole attitude was get out of thinking about winning and losing, master a process. Love that. Process. Things will take care of themselves. And when we understood, it wasn't until 87 that we fundamentally bought into that premise. Mm -hmm. And I would argue the coaches bought into that premise. They got better. The organization got better. The players got better. And the results took care of themselves. Because at no point did we, and this is where faith comes in, we began believing. Listen to my words now. We began believing in a process. Love it. And that process got us certain results, and then we just bought into it more. We bought into it more. And when somebody we played that was that can compete with us, that was challenging us, we, we we just we dug deeper into the process. And when we finally did lose, well, we tied in Auburn, oh, Ohio State, the next year we were stunned. And so we had to go back to the process, and we realized we 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 were not following our process. We had to figure mm-hmm. what we were doing wrong. We ended up tending to that next year, but again, we became these process-oriented human beings. I mean that. It's just 
And I live my life by that. So you talked about faith and belief. What part, you know, in our in the Jewish tradition, we say don't believe, don't don't rely on a miracle, but really rely on the process, and then the miracle will take place. Um, what did that look like in terms of the faith aspect within the locker room on the on the field? Well, and oh yeah, uh, the small things matter. Details nice. matter. <laughs> it's as simple as when you take the tape off your ankles. Are you going to throw it on the floor? Or are you going to throw it in the garbage? Detail. These coaches were all over us to show up five minutes early. If you're on time, you're late. Mm-hmm. If you're five minutes early, you're on time. And it was about doing it. Little things matter. And, 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 and to this day, little things matter. Pay attention to the details. And again, that's where, again, faith is about this hope, right? But it's also about there's evidence, right, to hope. And what they did was if we mastered that process again, we had hope, and we believed if we could put the tape in the garbage, we could make the tackle on the football field. Nice, nice. The person in the locker room is the person on the field. They were all over us about getting to class, being on time. If you're, if you're not disciplined in the classroom, you're not going to be disciplined on the field, on the field, right? If you're not disciplined in the film room, you're not going to be just when we need you to make a big play, blah, 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 blah. And so we had to learn to integrate ourselves in the larger collective. Um, and we had to rely and hope, believe that other people were buying into the process. Well, I hope that um, uh, people are going right back with me in time to my seventh grade history class right now and realizing the excitement that would happen in that classroom, Manly is Pebble Hill. Wow, this is like flashback and a moment in time but also yeah. flash forward to the future because you <laughs> inspired a lot of young people i want to talk about that for a moment you yes. go into the field of education let's talk about levy junior high for a moment yeah. it's more of an inner city school right a lot of these kids when my, my brother was there right a lot of these kids are in high school for the first time in, in in their in their lives and some are graduating some are not how do you put the faith and the hope in those kids that say they could make a difference. They could be the first to do something in their families, yes. in their communities. Take yes. us there. And then we'll go to my, my class at MPH. Yeah. First thing um, I got to model it. I, I've got to be there to show them. Look, I, in the end, um, my dad was a brick Mason. My mom um, was a shrimp peeler. She peeled shrimp. Wow. Uh, in a homemaker, working class up, uh, upbringing. I, I tried to downplay the sports. Um, because I didn't want everybody to think of going to the NFL or football. There's, this here is going to get you where you need to be, um, number one. And we had to begin helping them understand you've you got you to create habits. Now, easier said than done for a 13-year-old when I was 18, 19, 20 in a structured environment. Made it easy for me. But, again, I had to model it. I had to talk to them about it. And then all of a sudden, working with middle school youngsters in sports, same concept. Hey, if you want to be good at it, you got to start putting in the work, the time. You got to start building habits, um, work ethic. Um, but it goes into what you're saying. And then I was trying to help 13-year-olds understand if you're not doing your homework, at some point that's going to play out on the basketball court, on the right. court, on the baseball field. There's something that we've got to correct because you should be able to do it in all aspects of your life. Okay. And so those are some of the things we had to deal with. Also, distractions. Okay, what are you willing to give up if you want to reach your goals? You can't do everything. You gotta, you gotta limit, minimize the distractions, and you gotta be able to focus. All of those things are important 
to reach your goals. Okay? Yep. And you know with faith and hope, distractions can pull you away from those things. You've got to keep your eye on that pride. You've got to keep doing the things to, to, to prove to yourself that, that hope and faith are there. But you can be distracted and you can get off the, the, the trail. Interesting, because then you come to Manly's Bubble Hill where sports wasn't necessarily the focus. Soccer was, but not necessarily other sports. Right. And, right, I thought you brought a beautiful energy to it's not just about the classroom. It's also about the things that you can do on the court and field. Right, right. And there it was, again, balance, right? There it was, hey, we're all intellectual, but I say, hey, what about competition too, right? Mm -hmm. He's got to be able to compete against other schools and have pride. See, that's the thing about I love about sports. It's an opportunity to, it's an outward manifestation manifestation of your community and what's important to you. Now, I don't want football or sports to dominate the academic institution, but it says something about us, right? Can we put a competitive team on the field? Do we take pride in this kind of outward physicality? And don't forget, sports, 90% of sports is mental. Can we create schemes that people will follow that will lead us to the victories we want? So, again, when I got to manage Purple Hill, I was like, look, we're great academically. Now, let's get better at some of the physicality, Um, mind, body, and spirit. That balance. So you you really spoke about three words that I remember out of that class, culture, power, and economy. And that really guided our curriculum that year in seventh grade. And um, where did you find those three words that were going to be your mantra? And what did that look like going forward then leading to higher education as well? Yeah. Um, Culture is probably the most complicated sociological concept um, in, in all of human phenomena. And so again, these are these were broad constructs I would use to guide me in thinking and the students to, to kind of structure American history or world history or the constitutional law when I was teaching that, right? Mm-hmm. How culture, it, it's rabbi, it shaped you. Think how the Jewish Jewish culture has made you and how you're trying to make the Jewish culture and how it's just this reciprocity, this relationship. Going, it's in you, and you manifest it outside of you, right? With all of this technology and all of this stuff, you still go back to those right. ancient sacred rituals, right? Power, and, and now and there's the power, and this is that spiritual power, um, cultural power. All, so all of a sudden, they connect, and we talk about economy, not just money, the economic. Right of social capital, the economics of relational capital. The economy, so I was trying to help students to understand these things interact, culture, power, and economy, and you've got to understand it in, in, in all of these kind of complicated, dynamic ways. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I love that the African-American culture community and the Jewish culture are trying to come together I'm hearing you say you know, as, as best you can and bring your traditions, their traditions together, and can you complement each other? Yeah, and, and actually, I, you were one of the first people that I reached out to a couple of years ago. That was our reconnection when I started that sacred work with my mm-hmm. friend, Pastor John Paul Foster of Faithful Central Bible Church. And I, I had to, like, I had to reach out to the person that influenced me first. 
And one of the books that influenced me first was Warriors Don't Cry, which is still marked up on my bookshelf out here in Los Angeles. And talking about the Little Rock Nine, that made such an impact on me as a young person in central New York, not knowing much outside of basically, you know, Cortland or something like that. Sure. Any, any more south than that. Um, so talk about, you know, let's talk about that book for a moment and also what's happening in the world today in terms of social economic capital. Um, Little Rock Nine, so many, so many years ago. And then you see what's going on in the news today. And talk about that for a moment. And I want to show a clip of, of something that you talked about, how you teach media to your students. So warriors yes, yes. don't cry. You brought that yes. to us. Go Absolutely. back and tell us about that. We're talking about the civil rights movement. So we, we started out contextually looking at this large, this, this overwhelming political, social, economic movement that comes out of the traditions of the 20s, 30s. All of a sudden, things happened in the 50s, and now we're into it, right? And I make sure I make sure the students understand this isn't just when Rosa Parks did something. These folks were strategically planning 25 years before that moment. Right. Um, but for my middle school students, I had to bring it home in such a way so that you all could get it. And so we take it into a high school. What was it like to try to integrate um, Central High School in 1957 in, in Little Rock, Arkansas. And the book describes um, 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 one of the students, um, I can, um, um, her last name was Patilio Bills. Um, I can't, can't remember her first name, but she was one of the nine. She wrote this powerful book, memoir of that experience, and I wanted to walk you through it. We, we, we had to see the, his, the history of hate, the history of race, um, the terrorism that was um, put on African-Americans who just wanted to follow the law. 1954, Brown versus Board of Education, blah, 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 occurs. Um, the book is intense. Um, the book has its lady with the N-word. Um, it was a different time when I taught it. I don't yeah. to teach it the same, given wow. what, was, what, what was happening at that time. But I remember um, not only were you and the students rocked by it, parents were reading the book. Wow. And I remember that. And and nobody, here's what I do remember too at MPH, nobody said, no, 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 you, you can't teach this to middle school kids. In fact, they were saying, thank you for helping our kids understand our history, Rabbi. Don't forget mm -hmm. That's our history, about our United Statesians. That's our history. We've got to engage it. We've got to own it. We can't rewrite it. We've got to lean into it because that history now in different guises is still at play. We still are trying to figure out. There's two words that I don't hear in the public discourse. The first word, love, I don't hear that in the public discourse. And the next word, I never hear in the public, integration. Mm-hmm. I never hear the words school or integration of schools. We right now as a society to quietly say we, 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 we are segregated. We don't want to own that. We've got to own it. We come together for work. Work, we all come together. But our social spaces, um, spaces our religious spaces, um, are, we're, we're pretty segregated society. Yeah. And so what that does is when we, for example, when we bring 20,000 students to Syracuse University and all of a sudden we see all sorts of angst, sadly, we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't mm -hmm. be surprised. We haven't worked like a team 
at trying to figure out how to get along, how to work together for something larger than ourselves. So notice how it comes back to sports now. Yeah, it, was... it comes back athletics. Say what you want. We had a hundred guys, all d- different parts of the United States together. And until we could learn to work together and give up some things for the larger good, we couldn't win. Couldn't win. Mm-hmm. And that's where I have hope too. I've seen it done. I've experienced when you can get a collective to work together. Eris, you've heard this. You can move mountains, literally, if you can get people to come together. That's that and hope. What can we not do if we can get everybody to sacrifice religious term Mm -hmm. of something to get something greater? It's interesting that you say sacrifice. Uh, so there's two words that I often use. People say, you know, I'm going to compromise something. And one rabbi that I, one mentor of mine in the seminary said, never use the word compromise. What do you mean? You got to give up something. He said, no, if you compromise, you're going to give up something. But if you synthesize, you're going to put in what you want to get out of it. And I thought it's the same thing. And we tell all of our couples who are getting married this, you know, what do you guys fight about? Oh, we fight about dinner, fight about whatever. Never compromise. And the couples have, what do you mean? Say, no, synthesize. Put into the relationship what you want to get out of it and don't take out what you want to put into it. And I thought it's a brilliant thing and it goes into the faith and the sports world as well. Yeah. Um, let's go to the media aspect of it as well. I'm going to show this clip where you talked about summer college and what you do here. So we'll look at this and we'll talk about that. We do that by, um, I have my students actually watch movies. We watch movies and we critique, dissect, and make sense of those movies. More importantly, we're interested in what is the narrative of the movie, meaning what does the how does the movie frame various situations? How does the movie frame race? How does it frame beauty? How does it frame gender? And we're also interested in who's doing the framing and who gets political benefits from framing various constituencies in a variety of ways. He talked about framing, and later on in that clip, I believe you say, after you teach these kids at the university level, and I say kids at the university level, you said the world has not changed, but the way that they look at the world and act in the world has changed. Take us through an 18-year-old who comes into your class watching a movie and goes out of the world, out of that class, making a difference in this world. A- absolutely. I, and it goes, it goes back to culture, power, and economy in so many ways. I try to get them to think about, um, I always use the analogy, um, if, if a fish could think, if a fish, fish could think and it never came up out of the ocean, would it know it's wet? Yes. All of a sudden, I make the students begin to realize that they're being shaped by this invisible force called culture. We don't name it, but it's there. And all of a sudden, what I try to do is push them out of the water so they can experience another way of thinking about the world. And when they come back down in the water, metaphorically, of course, when they come back down in the water, they cannot not experience to see the water. Nice. <laughs> and, be, and because you know you're in this context now that's shaping you, you now are going to start being more self-aware and paying attention to what it's doing to you. Right. Um, and so, so now we can take that idea and watch a film and I can give the students certain analytical lenses to look for certain things. Now, the things were already there. 
Now, because they are, are situating things differently in mind, they can experience or see it, in quotes, they can see it now. It's already there, but it's like the water. You now can see what's happening to you. Mm-hmm. It's like trying to take them through that kind of process. You and I are going through it right now. I'm trying to explain essentially socialization. Again, these things are invisible, but they're right. constantly they're there. They're they're on this call right now. I'm trying to get your audience to think about these ideas. They're on television. They're on my phone. My computer's here. These things are are describing to you and I. Of, of how we should be. So now notice this. What if I talk to you the whole time from here? You see what I'm saying? I've been socialized that I've got to be a certain distance from the camera. Right. To right? We don't it's a whole that. different year of socialization, especially this year. And, you know, when we're opening up a little more, it's fascinating, especially religion, by the way. Religion met entertainment in a big way this year, right? We had for our big holidays, we had nobody in the building and we had a production company, had to go for Newhouse, knew those guys were going to do it right. They came in L.A., they they made our service, right? And all of a sudden now, actually, the question is, well, how what does religion look like now in terms of the socialization aspect, right? So like just last week, we had a person say the blessing over the scriptures um, whose daughter was in New York and they were on the Zoom screen with them at the same time, a hybrid way of bringing that faith together through socialization. And some people are like, well, what are you doing? That is not the religion that I grew up with. The question is, in that 22nd century, right, in the 22nd century, what is this all going to look like in terms of socialization as well in the faith world, in the sports world, in the world in general as well? Yeah, it's really fascinating. Love it. Here's what I love about it. I'm hearing you say at least your temple, you all are at least trying to lean into yes. things a little bit. Not completely, but you're trying to push the the water you're still a fish but there's different ways we can also mm-hmm. and still hold on to the sacred yes right? and hold on to the sacred i don't want you to lose the sacred but yes. all sorts of ways to say those blessings exactly exactly no it's so true i mean you look at our, our life cycles right we've done bar mitzvahs and funerals and weddings this year and actually it's interesting a year ago we told the families we're going to postpone your life cycles and three months later, we realized this isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Okay, now in this moment, how do you, as you said, lean in, right? Not re- not try to recreate what was, but lean into what actually can be. And I love what the same thing that you do within the educational world as well. So we're going to yeah. watch one more video from your interview in Athens, I believe, at a conference. And it goes like yeah. this. <laughs> one second. Let go. One second. Number one, the students um, reacted to what, what, what I call uh, disruption of normalcy. Number one, they realized that the way they were kind of living their lives in this kind of um, automatic way of being, it was disrupted. That they started noticing things that they hadn't noticed before because now they had these kind of ideological and theoretical lenses, uh, frameworks that I kind of taught them, and they began to see the world differently. Now, let me- so take COVID. And now you guys are going to come back, God willing, on campus, right? Uh, A colleague of mine, another rabbi, said, disruption is a time for disruption. Take a student in your class pre-COVID and they come back to campus. How do they come back to campus in the time of disruption based on what you just said in that interview? Absolutely. A number of things. 
some of them are going to come back via Zoom hybrid. Right. <laughs> so, so some of them are going to come back, but it's not going to be the physical the way we know it. Others are going to come back. Some students, I would think, given just the, the loss of system, mm-hmm. some are going to come. Some are going to come back and say, the, 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 "We there is no let's don't get back to normal. Normal has put us in a, a, a place of mass incarceration, climate change disasters, um, economic inequalities." Some people are going to be say, "No, no, no. This is a moment for us to lean into." these new ways of thinking about these things. I think COVID was the, the great x-ray machine that, oh, that. Yeah, that has just showed us all of the, 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 the fissures in our society that we just, we can choose to ignore it, but at our peril. And we, we realize that our healthcare system is actually broken. We've got to engage this thing, seriously. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people have fundamentally, we don't want to say this, but I hate saying it too. We've left them behind. Mm-hmm. We've left them. And some of the students are going to come back and say, wait a minute, we need to start thinking in this kind of solution-oriented way that right. we've got a climate to engage We've got social issues we can't run from anymore. We, we've got to figure out somebody. We've got to start using the word love. We've got to begin to talk about what does that mean for a society that's politically so divided, we can barely talk to each other. Yeah. We say we're this Judeo-Christian society, which says, I thought we're supposed to love our neighbor, right? I thought somewhere in there, it says you got to take care of the stranger. Exactly. More than once, many times. <laughs> right. And so I think some of the students are saying what they and they are moving away from some of these paradigms. I they're saying there's gotta be another way, not only economically, but with with some of my students talking about work and the nature of work, they want to see it shift and change. So even for me, I'm trying to make sure I'm listening to understand how these kind of larger forces, how they're making meaning of it now. Yes. And it's going to change their behaviors. It just, it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is. And, as, and I'm thinking we've got to, again, back to lean into it. We've got to lean into it as best we can. At 55, I've got to at least be willing to hear what those students are telling me and shift where I can. All right, it's back to the sacred. I don't want to lose certain ways of teaching that I think that's going to be important for their building, but I also want to make sure I'm leaning into that 22nd century. Yeah, for sure. I've got to lean into it. I've got to at least, or get out of their way and let totally. them. And that's a very yeah. humble thing to say, to get yes. out of their yes. way, right? So I'm going to ask you one. Uh, we say in our tradition that you should go from the mundane to the sacred. I'm going to go back to the mundane for just one moment because I find it very interesting. Sports is an escape. And then we'll go to the last uh, question about sacred. Uh, go back to the Sugar Bowl for a moment. 16-16. I watched that end of the video that basically they were so upset with Coach Die for basically from Auburn for not trying to win or lose the game, but basically walk off 0-0. Uh, <laughs> take us back to that moment and uh, – what, what was that all about? And what would you do differently today? Oh, uh, first of all, don't forget, we were up 16. They tied. Right. right? Um, Coach Matt said it best. 
He said it's like kissing your sister. That's what a tie feels like, like kissing your sister on the lips. And so you leave the game. Remember, there wasn't overtime back then. Right. When it was over, you're, you're like, you don't win, you don't lose. It felt like a loss to us because we um, we we kicked the field goal to go up. It was fourth and one. We decided to kick the field goal, and the question now is, should we have gone for it to put more pressure on them? I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to ever challenge Coach Matt's judgment. Um, bottom line, we tied, and it was um, – it was 11 0 and 1. Is a yeah. That's all I do now. <laughs> yep, for sure, for sure. So, a, a point in Syracuse uh, football history that will always live in infamy. Yes. Um, last question, which really sums up what we've spoken about sports, faith, power, culture, economy. And you just said before that, like, you either have to lean in or let people go their way. So, seventh grade. You were you just said how old you were, 55, 29 years old, teaching me. I'm now a rabbi in a place that I never knew about back then in Los Angeles. By the way, we're down from UCLA. I don't know if you remember this, but the March Madness that year was when Princeton beat UCLA um, on the backdoor cut. And I think we like <laughs> I might have cut your class to watch that. Maybe, maybe, maybe you watched it with us, something like that. But now I'm a Bruins fan down the street. But a 29-year-old teaching a young white Jewish student in upstate New York, now a 55-year-old professor of education at Syracuse University and a 39-year-old rabbi here in Los Angeles. Um, are you a different person today than you were back then? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I'm a little bit more um, humble. Well, life and experiences, if you are examining you, um, you it humbles you. It, it, it humbles you. You think you got it. Um, you never truly get it. You're, you're, these larger forces humble you. Um, I, relationships are more important to me now, um, more so than ever now. Just call with you, just trying to communicate my feeling for you, my enthusiasm to, to, to be this, this, this sacred gift, that the word sacred called life. It's important. Um, it, it, it's um, it's finite at 29. I couldn't think in those terms. Mm-hmm. It's finite. I hate to say it, but it is. That's and that makes every day more precious to me. Now mm-hmm. I get it, but it took a lot of pain in understanding. Understand this moment I've got right now with you. I'm trying to give you everything I got because I don't know. We we feel it. There you go. I, I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. I just don't know. And so, um, yeah, I, I'm different. I'm different. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm humbler. And I'm, I'm, I'm more malleable and flexible, believe it or not. i got a lot more to learn. I've got a lot more to learn. <laughs> Actually, I said this a couple of weeks ago, but in our daily prayer before we do the declaration of our faith, we say, Lil Mod Ulil Ahmed, that we should be able to learn and teach. And yeah. Dr. Mangram, that is what you did for me in seventh yeah. grade and so many of my classmates and so many of uh, the students in central New York, where they are more humbler, more learned, and more able to teach because of what you did for us in the classroom and for the Syracuse community, what you did for uh, for us on the field as well. Dr. Jeff Mangram, it is an amazing <laughs> honor and privilege 
to be here with you. 1987 Sugar Bowl. We'll call it Sugar Bowl champion, Syracuse alum. Yeah. Levy Junior High, Manliest Pebble Hill, now doctorate yeah. of education at Syracuse University. It is a pleasure to be with you. God bless you and your family, and we hope to see Thank you soon. You. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Thank you.